Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Second Timothy chapter 1 and 2, the last letter that Paul wrote before he went to heaven by the hands of Rome. I want to begin reading in verse 13. We looked at verse 13 and 14 a little bit last Sunday, but I want to pick up there. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. The good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. A Wyoming cattleman rode into a clearing out on the range, and he saw a wild bull attempting to gouge a cowboy who had fallen off his horse. Head down, nostrils snorting, the bull charged him in, and the cowboy was saved by diving into a convenient recess in the ground. As soon as the bull plunged across the hole, the cowboy leaped out. The bull came back, madder than ever, and right before the bull reached him, the cowboy ducked back into the hole. Then when the bull passed, he popped back out of the hole again. And this went back and forth for several minutes, and finally the cattleman said, Hey, cowboy, why don't you just stay in the hole? And he yelled back, Because there's a bear in that hole. (laughs) He was in a difficult place. Paul was in a difficult place. He's in the Mamertine prison in Rome, in a dungeon, awaiting execution. He's on death row. And yet, even in the midst of that, he writes to Timothy, encouraging him, saying, Timothy, you have got to continue on the mission that God has given us to keep doing the ministry. I believe there's some principles here, some truths here that can apply to all of us because in some ways, all of us are in some kind of ministry. And if you haven't figured out by now, whenever you're doing ministry, it's hard. People don't always respond like you want them to. You don't even know if you're doing any good. you, You don't see the results many times. And you wonder... Is this worth it all? Paul is sitting in a prison by himself, people forsaking him. 
And he's saying, Timothy, it's not going to be easy. In fact, all through chapter 2, most of chapter 2, you're going to see, you're going to have to endure a lot of things. But today I want to talk to you, I think we can glean from Paul's life about ministry in difficult times. He begins by talking about relying, I call it relying on divine resources. In verse 13 and 14, you see what you have and what you need to do ministry. Obviously, you've got to know Jesus. That goes without saying. But you cannot do ministry on your own power. If you do, you run out of gas or you burn out or you quit. There are some resources here mentioned in verses 13 and 14 that you rely on in any kind of ministry for the Lord. And the first one is sound theology. Verse 13 says, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you heard from me in faith and love and which are in Christ Jesus. The word pattern I mentioned to you last Sunday is the the word for a sketch such as an architect reads before the contractor builds the ideas for Timothy to follow the sound doctrine that Paul has given him. He said, follow it and live it. It's the blueprint for life. There's a famous saying that Charles Spurgeon made. Many of you may have heard it. He said, Scripture is like a lion. Whoever heard of defending a lion, just turn it loose. It will defend itself. And see, the great claim of Christianity is not that it's a religion. Christianity is not a religion It is the truth. And there's a difference in a religion. There shouldn't be, but there's a lot of difference in a man-made religion and the truth from God. Dorothy Sayers said the test of any religion is not that it pleases us, but that it is true. The Bible is God's instruction book for us. When you buy a car, you get a manual that shows you how to work all the stuff on it or if it's broken, how to, well, it doesn't tell you how to fix it anymore, but it tells you a lot of things about that automobile. You buy a new washing machine or a toaster, you're going to get some kind of instruction booklet or manual with it. Well, God made us in his image. We're complicated. Have you ever noticed that people are complicated? And we're put in this world and God's instruction book is right here. It shows us what life is about. It shows us how God loved us. It shows us how we can be saved. It shows us how we can get back to him, to the ultimate reality, which is a place without sin. That's what the Bible is. And Timothy, he said, Timothy, you guard this by means of the indwelling Holy Spirit. You have the words of God. You have the resources. God's word is is. Used, it will convict, it will convince people, it will divide even between the soul and spirit of a person. It's the Word of God that brought you to Christ. It wasn't man's opinion, it wasn't some catchy topic, it was the Word of God that showed you that you needed to be saved. It's the Word of God that shows that Jesus came. It's the Word of God that tells us who Jesus is. Another resource besides sound theology is what I call supernatural tenacity. That good thing which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Paul, he he put us. He said, Timothy, the Holy Spirit's in you. The Holy Spirit's in me. And it's very important that you understand what the apostle is saying. It's not merely the words of this book that are powerful, not only, but it's the Holy Spirit that illuminates it for people to understand. You see, lost people don't really understand the Bible. 
But when you have the Holy Spirit in you, you begin to see things that you didn't see before. You begin to understand. It all begins to connect and to click. And you begin to have the, the power to continue on from the Word of God. It, see, these words are living words. They're penetrating words. They're powerful. They enlighten our mind. They pierce the heart. Words that produce changes in attitude and behavior. The Word of God is what changes people's lives. Of course, Jesus saves Holy Spirit in us, but the Word of God is what brings people to that saving knowledge of Christ. That's why we try to teach you the Word of God. I don't, you don't care about my opinions. I don't even care about my opinions. <laughs> It is true that the words are truth, that it is the Word of God without error as God gave it to man. But it's the Holy Spirit that makes this book a living word and transforms it into a powerful lion that can defend itself. It's the Holy Spirit that gives you the tenacity to stay with it. If you are doing ministry on your own, you're going to quit. You're going to stop. You're going to burn out or whatever. You just say, you know, I'm not doing this anymore, but it's the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit could have Paul write a letter like this while he is on death row. So Paul says, you, Timothy, you, you've, got to do, you've got to depend on these resources. You've got to have God's Word, the words that I've taught you, sound words, and the power of the Holy Spirit to hang on to it. But then he also says, Timothy, you got to realize something, that you're going to see some different kinds of relationships in ministry. You know, it's interesting that when you do any kind of ministry, you get different responses. I hate to tell you this, but not everybody's going to like you. I was told a long time ago, if everybody likes you, you're not doing anything. Well, that's not true because if you're not doing anything, the people that want you doing something don't like you. Paul mentions a couple of different relationships here. First of all, you see some disappointing ones. I call them the disappointing deserters. In verse 15, this you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. We don't know who those guys are. This is the only thing we know about them is their name. No record of them. But we can assume a few things. We can assume that at one time they were professing believers, and maybe they still are, and maybe they were leaders, and maybe they, they were influencing other people. You need to disassociate from Paul. He's in prison. The Romans have him. And maybe they influenced the people in Asia. Maybe they were like Job's friends. Job's friends declared that Job's suffering proved that he was not right with God. Maybe they're saying, well, Paul must not be right with God, or he wouldn't be in that Roman prison, and he must not be an apostle. People were deserting Paul because associating with him could lead to imprisonment. It could lead to execution. Christians were blamed for burning Rome. Nero was having them all arrested. He was the chief spokesperson for Christianity that they knew of. And so maybe people were backing off and, and, and leaving him. I don't, we don't know, but we do know this, that even at the end of the book, he said, the only ones with me right now is Luke. 
Folks, it's, it gets lonely in ministry sometimes. Not everybody likes you. Not everybody will stay with it. Sometimes they will leave and go other places. It's, it's hard not to, to, put, to take things personally in ministry. You pour your life into it. That's all you live and breathe and you think about it. And when somebody doesn't like it, then you take it personally. You can't do that. But I'm here to tell you that in ministry, there will always be those who are disappointing that will always say, you know what, I've had enough of this. And we all know people at one time who may have been active or may have been doing things. They don't even darken the door of the church anymore. It's disappointing, isn't it? That's part of ministry. But you need to remember, they're not deserting you. They're deserting the Lord. It's not you. There'll always be people who will let you down. You know what? In church, do, do church people let you down? <laughs> people who don't come to church today, their number one reason says, well, the church people let me down. They're hypocrites. Let's get out in the open. Every last person in this place is a hypocrite, including me. There's not any perfect people. If you're looking for perfect people, you're going to have to leave the world to find them. It's, this place is crawling with sinners. You, you're sitting by a bunch of sinners. You know that? Some of them are nicer than others. We're just sinners saved by the grace of God. People will disappoint you. But on the other hand, you're always going to have those dedicated I call them dedicated defenders in Paul's case because he said, you know, the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. When he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. And in verse 18, you know very well how many ways he ministered me at Ephesus. Did you know stored in the Library of Congress in a safe place there's a little blue box. On the outside, there's a label that says, contents of the president's pockets on the night of April 14th, 1865. Now, you probably know by now that that was the faithful night, the fateful night that President Lincoln was assassinated. And the box contains what was in his pockets, five things. There was a handkerchief that had an embroidered A. Lincoln on it. There was a country boy's pen knife there. These things are still there, by the way. There's a spectacles case that was repaired with string. There was a purse containing $5 bill in Confederate money. But then there were some old, worn newspaper clippings in his pocket. The clippings are concerned with the great deeds of Abraham Lincoln. One of them reports a speech by John Bright, a British statesman, saying that Abraham Lincoln is one of the greatest men of all time. Now, that's not news to you and me because a century and a half later, we know he was a great man and a great president. But nobody knew that then. 
Because at that time, the country was divided and President Lincoln was trying to do anything he could to restore unity in the nation. So you picture this lonely figure in the Oval Office reaching into his pocket, pulling out a newspaper clipping that said some positive things about him and him reading that. It gave him courage and strength to go on because leaders need encouragement. Now, you shift from the Oval Office down to the Mamertine prison in Rome, and you've got Paul down in a hole in a stinky, damp, cold, dark prison. And only light that's coming in is from the opening in the top where they let people down in there. And there sits Paul. And you need to remember something. Paul did not know that his letters to the churches would wind up in the Bible. He didn't know that. He didn't know that his words were going to be used by God to touch millions of people down through the ages. I believe every word that he wrote was inspired by the Holy Spirit. I really do because it would be in our Scripture. But Paul didn't know that. Paul's sitting in a prison writing a letter to a young man trying to encourage him. And then can you imagine that suddenly there was a noise above where the, maybe the grate was lifted off of the hole and a ladder's dropped down in there, and, and, and that's the only light, and you can't see, and you see somebody coming down that ladder, and you don't have a clue who it is, but then all of a sudden he hears a familiar voice. Paul, Paul, I finally found you. And he recognizes that voice of Onesiphorus. When everyone in Asia had deserted Paul, Onesiphorus went to see him. Christians in Rome were being burned on the streets as streetlights and being fed to wild animals out in the circus, as they called it, or the Colosseum. And when everyone else was trying to get out of Rome, Onesiphorus comes into Rome looking for Paul. It's interesting, his name means prophet-bearing or help-bringer. And when Paul was deserted by others, Onesiphorus sought him out and refreshed him. And the word refreshed means to cool again. An amplified translation or version of the Scripture translated, he's bracing me or refreshing me like fresh air. And the reality is that no matter what ministry you're in, you are in Sometimes you just need a little refreshment from somebody, don't you? What about Jesus? When he is in agony going into the Garden of Gethsemane before he's going to be betrayed and arrested, who does he take with him? He takes three of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, with him. And here's Paul sitting in a Roman prison cell, and Onesiphorus comes to... Help him. I want to tell you, if Jesus needed encouragement, everybody in ministry needs encouragement. I want you to notice three things that Onesiphorus did or how that he had. First of all, he had an uplifting spirit. He served Paul in a lot of ways. Paul said, you know all the many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. When Paul was hungry, he brought him food. When he was thirsty, he brought him drink. When he was discouraged, he prayed with him. When he was rejoicing, he sang with him, no doubt. He refreshed Paul physically, emotionally, and spiritually. 
And to refresh someone, you've got to be systematic, persistent, practical. Someone put it this way, in times of prosperity, our friends know us. But in times of difficulty, we know our friends. When all people deserted Paul, Onesiphorus faithfully reached out to him. And it's good to remember that often the best things we can do sometimes is just to be there with them. You don't have to say anything. Job's friends were great as long as they sat there with him. But then they opened their mouth. No one, no problem is ever as dark as when you have a friend to face it with you. And I love this phrase, the small change of human happiness lies in the unexpected friendly word. Honest so far as also not always uplifting. Don't you like uplifting people? Do you have any people in your life that just suck the life out of you? Yeah, I can tell by your reaction you do. And you need to help those people. I'm not, I'm not knocking it, but there's some people that just, they walk in the room and you just feel the power going out of you. <laughs> They're carrying kryptonite. <laughs> Honest Sephoris also showed unconditional support. Did you notice what Paul said? He said in verse 16, was not ashamed of my chain. It means that when Osiris came in to see Paul, he didn't condemn him. He didn't say, you know, if you just had more faith, God would set you free. That's where Job's friends failed. They sat with him for a while, but then they opened their mouth. They said, Job, you must have sin in your life. They showed their true colors. You, you, you must have sin in your life. I'm sure there were people who were probably saying, well, you know, Paul must have been done something really bad if he's in the Roman prison. He's about to be executed. But Paul would say, the only reason I'm in here is for preaching the gospel. Folks, we've got to accept people where they are. Listen, when they meet Jesus, they won't stay the same. It's not our job to change them. It's our job to lead them to Christ and, to, and, and Christ will, will, will take care of them. Let Christ handle them. In fact, we're told in Romans 12, 15 to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. Sometimes we just say, you know, it's okay to cry. It's okay to feel betrayed. It's okay. Yeah, it wasn't fair. You find that feeling in the Psalms a lot. Psalmist, man, he lets it rip sometimes and says, listen, Lord, I'm, I'm ready for you to zap these people. It's okay. Feel that way. We don't condemn and criticize people. You and I can't change. We can't change anyone. You cannot change anyone. Only Jesus can. But we can talk to them and love them in a way to, to be, and show them the kind of love that we have been shown. Think about it. 
You don't deserve God's love any more than anyone else in the world. We've got to be those kind of people. Ministry's that way. But it also says that he, he was untiring in his effort. He heard about Paul's imprisonment. He didn't have all the information. He didn't even know where Paul was. He couldn't call up the local jail and say, do you all have Paul or Saul of Tarsus from there? When he got to Rome, he had to look for him zealously. But think of all the inconveniences that Onesiphorus had to go through to help Paul. First of all, from Ephesus to Rome's 1,200 miles on foot or by boat. Then when he got there, how hard was it to find him? We don't know, but I do know that the Romans probably were not very cooperative. They didn't like Christians. But he finally found him. And I want to tell you something. If you practice the ministry of refreshment and encouragement, you're going to have to accept the fact that it's never convenient. means tossing your original plans for the day. You get up and have your day planned, God may interrupt your day. And I say, Lord, you have every right to interrupt my day because my life belongs to you. (laughs) Sometimes it means going to bed later or getting up earlier. At times it means caring for a person who won't even listen to you and still makes bad decisions. Sometimes you've got to not only accept the inconvenience, but you've got to accept the fact that you may not be appreciated either. Because most people who are going through painful times aren't thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves. And no matter what you do, sometimes it blurs the lines. And sometimes they even get angry with you. There are different responses with people in ministry. You need to understand that. No matter what you're doing, it's not a glamorous place to be. Ministry is sacrificing. It's giving. It's helping other people. It's never convenient. And Paul encourages Timothy. He said, now listen, Timothy, you need to remain devoted in your reliance upon God. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. You therefore, my son, I love that he calls him my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The word strong, three things I want you to remember about that word. First of all, it is an imperative. It's a command. Do you know the difference between an imperative and a suggestion? My parents taught me a long time ago the difference. <laughs> Paul's saying, Timothy, you got to do this. You got to be strong. It's also present tense, which means it's continuous. Timothy, you have to continuously be strong. But then don't miss this it's a passive voice. Passive means that you receive the action. It doesn't come from within you. In other words, you don't just work yourself up into being strong. I can do this on my own. I've got to work myself up to it. No, you are strong when you are relying on the grace that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Of all the concepts in the Bible, one of the most important for you to understand and apply to your daily life is God's grace. It was grace that saved you. If you don't understand God's grace, you do not understand the gospel. That's what the book of Galatians is about. 
It's only Jesus and God's grace and mercy to you. Listen, not only are we saved by grace, but we're to grow in grace. 2 Peter 3.18. God's grace motivates us to serve him. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. His grace sustains us in our trials. 2 Corinthians 12.9. And when we're needy, we're invited to come to God's throne of grace to help in time, and says, and to find grace to help in our time of need, Hebrews 4.16. When we're told to fix our hope completely on the grace to be brought to us when Jesus Christ returns, 1 Peter 1.13. So you don't have to be afraid when Jesus comes because the grace that saved you is the grace that's going to meet you when the Lord returns. All of us sinners, all of us sinners, been saved by grace. In fact, the last verse of the Bible, Revelation 22, 21, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. You live in the grace of God. You don't have to do anything to make God love you more than he's already loved you. You don't have to do anything to make God accept you more than he's already accepted you in Jesus Christ. Y'all ever heard the song Amazing Grace? Now think about it. When we sing it, we sing it like this. Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. We put emphasis on the zing. But you know what? That's what grace does. It puts the zing in your life. <laughs> now, you won't forget that again either, will you? Amazing grace. It's zing. That's what I need. You live in the grace of God. He's saying, Timothy, you're like a... That's where the power is. All of us are like power tools with an electrical plug. We're plugged into God's grace and his resources, and they flow through our lives to empower us to do the ministry that he's called us to do. And he said, Timothy, you, you have a tendency to be shy. You, you, you have a tendency to want to pull back. He said, but you've got to be strong in the grace of God. You stand in the grace of God. Nothing will take you out of that. You don't hold on to Jesus. He holds on to you. One of the reasons we come to worship. Why do, why do you come to worship? We meet together to be empowered and reminded of God's grace. I mean, just look around you. Just look around you. And here's what you're thinking. If God can save that guy, he can save me. We're all a testimony of grace. All of us are testimonies of God's grace. Sylvester Stallone was being interviewed in 2006. You don't know who I'm talking about? Rocky. Yo, Adrian. You know who I'm talking about? <laughs> he said, you cannot train yourself physically. And then he said, in the spiritual world, the church is the gym, G." Y-M, like workout gym for the soul. Our worship breaks the spell of self-sufficiency. We realize that we're not self-sufficient, that we need each other. 
Because all of us have times where we feel like we don't belong, sort of like Charlie Brown's sister, Sally. Right before the beginning of school, she pointed out the prior year of school, she's in the wrong class for two weeks. And when she got to the right room, she was in the wrong desk. She couldn't get her locker open all last year. She was in the school band for three days before she found out the school didn't have a band. <laughs> and finally, in disgust, she said, disgust, she said, I think I'll sign up for staying home. All of us can relate to that in some way. But you come in here to be with people who have been saved by the grace of God and you find strength and encouragement and you enjoy. I, I won't ever forget. After six weeks of being in this building with just a few of us preaching to empty seats to see you walk back in the doors, I won't ever forget that. I can hardly talk about it without tears. It's something about being with God's people. He said, Timothy, you've got to rely on the resources you have. You've got to, you've got to realize there's going to be different people respond different ways. You've got to remember that the reliance is upon the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of Jesus Christ. And, and then he says, Timothy, you've got to remember and recognize your definite responsibility. He said, Timothy, you've got to tr entrust what you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit or entrust. The same word he used, verse 12, where Paul said, I have committed my life to him. The word means to make a deposit. You've got to deposit the truth and deposit your life into someone else who can pass it on to someone else. Think about it. There's four generations mentioned in this passage. Paul, Timothy, the people that Timothy's going to teach, and the people that those people are going to teach. Have a wooden chain here that a man made, and I can't imagine how long it took him to make it. It's made out of wood, I think. Here's what I want you to notice. Let's let this first link, let me get where everybody can see me. Let's let this first link represent Jesus and the gospel. And Jesus poured his life into the apostles. Later he appeared to Paul, and Paul started churches, and on down the line we go, generation after generation after generation after generation, and then we come to us right here. You're linked all the way back to Christ Because someone passed it along. Pretty amazing, isn't it, thought? Well, it's our job to keep passing it along. Parents, pass this to your children. It's hard. Sometimes you don't feel like reading the Bible. Sometimes you don't feel like telling anybody else. But do you realize how selfish that is? Yeah, I said selfish. Because you're here today and you know Jesus because someone 
spent the time to teach you the gospel. Maybe it was in Sunday school. Maybe it was in some other organization. Maybe it was in a good news club. I don't know. But somewhere, somebody told you what the Word of God says about Jesus and the Holy Spirit wooed you to salvation and you responded. Somebody that wasn't selfish, somebody that went out of their way to study and to teach, to put up with boys and girls in a Sunday school class that were probably rowdy. Paul said, Timothy, I'm about to be taken out. You got to keep passing it along. And this is my term. I borrowed it. But he said, you need to pass it along to fat people. <laughs> now, I'm not kidding. I'm in the right place, aren't I? <laughs> no, listen. I don't mean overweight. I don't mean overweight. Faithful, available, teachable. Faithful. The people who who day in and day out, they live for the Lord. They're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But faithful means reliable people, people who have their priorities straight, people who are focused on the Lord in their life, available. There's never been a day, it seems, that people have so much to do and so little of it means anything for eternity. Priorities available says, Lord, I know I'm a busy person, but let's just face it, we do what we want to do. We make it available, don't we? He said, Timothy, you find people. He's talking to men and women. He said, you find people who are available, who want to learn, who want to, and who are teachable. It's the third part. The teachable means that, you know, you can't teach anybody anything if you're not teachable yourself. Believe it or not, you don't know everything. <coughs> I know some of you think you do because I've met you. <laughs> but you don't. We can still learn. We can still grow. And that we, when God teaches us something new, we pass that to Someone else say, listen, let me, let me tell you how good God is and let me tell you what I've learned and let me... We have a definite responsibility. If we don't teach the next generation, who will? Amen. You have a definite responsibility ministry-wise, whether it's to children in your home or where you work or... Whatever. I, I look back and think of some of the people in my life as a kid. I don't remember everything they taught me. But I do know that they told me about Jesus. And I'm sure they drew the short straw to teach our class. Pretty rowdy when... But they felt the responsibility that if somebody didn't do it, no one else would. 
And folks, I want to tell you, ministry, God's called all of us to some kind of ministry. It's not, not just the preacher or the leading the music. or, or it's, it, it's all of us. We're part of a, a greater kingdom. We're just one little segment of it, and we're supposed to be doing our part to reach other people. So don't be selfish. You have the good news of Jesus and what he's done in your life, and you've got a neighbor or a friend or someone who needs to hear it. They're lost. They're in their sin. They don't know where they're going or what they're doing. You have the answer to life. Don't hold it to yourself. He said, Timothy, you, the stuff I've taught you, you've got to teach to others now. But you can't do any of this if you don't know Jesus as your Savior. And the good news is, I'm here to tell you that Jesus... Back here at the first of this link, first link, that Jesus is still the same today. And he'll save you. He'll forgive you. He will grace you. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. None of us do. You can't buy it. You don't inherit it. You commit your life to Christ. And he will save you. God immerses you in the righteousness of Jesus. He's the mediator between God and man. He's the one that can save us. And you could come to him today. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I pray for those that need Jesus today. That he's the, he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. I pray you bring people to you. And Lord, for those in, who've been saved, that's most of us in here, I pray that you would let them see that the ministry they're involved in is worth it. Not to be discouraged. It's worth it. Help moms to, and dads to teach their children the most important part of life is Jesus. I pray for young people to, to make sure that they're following your ways. And Lord, for those in ministry, I pray you'll encourage them for Sunday school teachers, for children's directors and preschool help and all, all over the place. Lord, I pray you'll encourage them today. Sometimes people don't like it. But a lot of people do. So I just ask you, Lord, to help them to be strong in your grace today. And if they need a church, Lord, you know I'm biased, but they won't find a better one in here. I pray for those that need to be baptized. They've been saved. They know it. They've just never been scripturally immersed. They've never been baptized. And I pray you'll give them courage to stay, take a stand for you. We come to you thanking you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message.